Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along with this year's Bible reading plan, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And we'd love to take some time and every podcast answer a question you may have or a couple questions you may have. Uh, so feel free to send those in at infogrove.church or if you jump on Facebook, find the Grove Church in Marysville, and Homish and send us a direct message uh, after you like us. You have to like us before you're not ready. But uh, send us one of those questions. We'd love to take some time uh, on a regular basis and answer those questions for you. There are a few different Grove churches, so just make sure you're... Marysville, and Homish. <laughs> it's a green leaf with a G. One of the... Uh, one of the pastors was just telling me that they had someone sign up for a life group, um, and so they found you know yes, that's our, happened a couple times, our actually. website, and then they realized from like Arizona, wait, yep. from California, <laughs> completely different states. So there you go. Yep, uh, the we Grove do, Church in Marysville. We do our follow up only to find out it's the wrong wrong state. So bummer, bummer. Uh, Maybe a campus coming here. Anyway, with that being said, uh, just to clue you into what resources we are using today. Um, Kind of, I guess, as always, we're using the ESV Study Bible. That'll really be a like staple. it. Yep. Uh, I'm also using, or we are also using, the Essence of the Old Testament, which is a survey book uh, by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates, uh, an introduction to the Old Testament Pentateuch by Herbert Wolf, and Encountering the Old Testament by Bill T. Arnold and Brian E. Bayer is how I'm going to pronounce that. Yeah, we just we just wanted to look like we're smart and have resources, so that's why we put that yeah. in there. And Not again, really. uh, if you want to study these topics on your own, those are some great resources yeah. that we use. Um, and also, you you know, you want to give credit to credit where credit is due. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, introduction this week, we are diving into Leviticus. This uh, is my choice. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I told Evan we should do this book. Yeah, when um, we met, uh, he to was kind of resistant. Plan out, I was. won him over. So there you go. Leviticus is famously, um, it, there's just a joke within Christianity that if you start a Bible reading plan, um, once you make it past Leviticus, it's pretty smooth sailing yes, <laughs> for absolutely. a while there. So it's a difficult book. Probably, yeah, past Leviticus into Numbers a little bit. but That's true. Um, you get a relief in Numbers and then it goes back into some of the genealogies, which is a little rough. But. True. Once you get to Joshua, it's narrative for a few books there. It's good yeah, stuff. Then repetitive for a few more. Eh, what are you going to do? Uh, so anyways, uh, Leviticus is part of the Pentateuch, uh, which is just a Greek word meaning five books. Um, and so those are the first five books of the Bible, which uh, traditionally are um, ascribed to be written by Moses. So that's mm -hmm. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and most of Deuteronomy. Uh, yeah. You'll notice at the end of Deuteronomy, there's a part that's clearly not written by Moses because it says, and then Moses died and kind of gives like a, a recap of everything. So that was, right. uh, that was added Wait, in uh, after Moses finishes writing. Um, it wasn't written. A, it wasn't written a long time or a long time after no. all of it. So yeah. just to be clear, all, like it wasn't like some, it's like, Hey, I'm going to add some stuff into the Bible. Like, no, it was written by a scribe and uh, reflection of Moses's life. So. Yeah. Every early manuscript we have of Deuteronomy that includes that section yeah. has that there. So, so anyway, so. the Pentateuch is also referred to as the Torah. Uh, or Torah, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, so when Jesus says, when he talks about the law, uh, he also, this is what he's referring to is these first five books of the, of the Old Testament. So, so there you go. Uh, one of the things that was really interesting that I saw as I was researching, um, I'm going to flip through pages here because I totally forgot to write it down inside of our uh, digital notes. Um, but the Hebrew name for Leviticus was taken, taken from the beginning of the book is uh, Weikra, which I might've said completely wrong. Um, but it's interesting because the Hebrew word for the book actually means, uh, and then he called, which I think is a really, hmm. I think is a really beautiful name for what the book is actually I I about. I knew that at one point, but that was a long time so ago. There you go. I've deleted it from memory. Um, but the Greek word that we get Leviticus from, so in the, uh, the Greek translation of the New Testament, which is called the Septuagint, Septuagint. boom, uh, fun Septuagint. fact for you. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but that actually means, uh, things concerning Levites. 
So a lot, not as great of a book. And it also kind of makes you think um, that the entire book is about um, the priesthood, which it's not, you know, it's, it's God calling his entire people. So I do like the Waikra uh, name a lot better than I like, let's see what it, it's a uh, Leitakon, I think is what the Greek word is. So there you go. So fun fact there. Uh, Leviticus is just a continuation um, of the covenant between God and the people of Israel. So the whole idea is if, if you read through um, Genesis, what you see is Abraham, God creates a covenant with Abraham uh, that his descendants will be a great nation um, and that essentially they will be God's people. Mm-hmm. And so you see that follow through, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, it's, it's, it's going through there. They spend time in Egypt um, and then God uses Moses uh, to call the people out of Egypt to deliver them from slavery. God delivers them from slavery. Um, there's miraculous things that happen. And at this point they're wandering in the desert um, and God is kind of establishing, well, what is this covenant going to look like? So what does it look like to truly be God's people? And so you'll see a theme throughout all of Leviticus. It's, it's very concerned with what does it mean to be a holy people serving yeah. a holy God? Um, there's a lot of concepts in, in there that are important. Like for instance, uh, the idea of being clean and unclean. Um, there's a few different ways this applies because I think there's one way that really applies to us today, which is morally clean and unclean, or the idea of you know when when we sin, um, being unclean, and how because of that sin, uh, we need a savior, we need mm-hmm. a redeemer, um, and obviously you see the fulfillment of all of that in in who Jesus is. Yeah. Um, but in Leviticus, there's also this idea of being ceremonially ceremonially clean and unclean, which you'll see all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Um, and basically, the idea there is it's not. It has its um, it has its weight in the moral commands of God, but it's also this kind of ritual cleanliness um, that is also very important. So there you go. Yeah, and then th- we talked about it a little bit last week, but a theme throughout the whole Bible is that the rituals of religion are not what bring joy to the heart of God, but rather it's what's underneath the rituals. Um, and so with Leviticus, you'll see, you know, this with the sacrifice and killing of animals is not is, a killing of an animal is not what brought joy to God, but rather um, it's the underlying acknowledgement of our sinfulness and repentance for that sinfulness. Yeah. And so it's just kind of something to uh, to keep in mind as we're reading through. Yeah, and you'll find even in Leviticus, you're going to get a lot of the practical. Uh, it's almost like a how-to, how to be holy. Yeah. Here's how to do it. Uh, and so Leviticus. Um, is, is kind of a heavy book in trying to comprehend uh, and even decipher what does it actually mean for you and I today. Uh, but there's value to it. There's there's really um, an intentionality in the book of Leviticus that I think is really important to remember. Uh, and as you read through it, uh, don't, don't get lost in translation or in content, but remember the heartbeat is um, God's, God's desires for his people to be in relationship with him. Um, and so even in the first... You'll, we'll see, you'll actually see, I'll just to overview real quick, you'll see us break down this book in uh, just several different sections. Uh, the first one would be the laws of sacrifice, which exists in Leviticus 1 through 7. The second one would be the laws of the priesthood, which is Leviticus 8 through 10. Uh, you continue on, you'll see that the laws of purity are in chapters 11 through 15. Um, and then finally, you'll see the section uh, called the holiness code, which is Leviticus 17 to 27, uh, where we will... Uh, just kind of break it down and kind of overview this book for us before uh, I'm I'm really wired to kind of process as I'm talking. So you'll get a lot of my application thoughts just as we're kind of working through it. Um, but I, I do think in this first section specifically when it comes to the sacrifice, the laws of sacrifice on the first seven chapters, 
um, that you'll see there's five different sacrifices that are mentioned in Leviticus. Um, and I think it's important to, to remember the tabernacle and the temporal, the temple, the temporal, uh, the temporal, uh, the tabernacle and the temple are, are in essence, the same building. Uh, one's a permanent building. The tabernacle is a mobile yeah, building. They serve the same function. Yeah. Though. So, uh, it's pretty much the same thing. And then in the new Testament, we find that, that the temple is not the, is now the focus is on us as the bot, our bodies being the temple of the spirit. Uh, and really the, the purpose of these these places, if you will, these buildings or our bodies are really meant to be places of worship. Uh, you'll find throughout scripture, you'll find throughout uh, the New Testament, the Old Testament, that these places are where people gather to worship and to express what uh, their worship to God through the actions they take. Uh, we oftentimes, I think, sometimes lose the depth of this truth just by getting caught up in the sacrifices that we are. I'm going to jump into here in just a minute. But remember they're not like sacrifices were meant to establish relationship and keep relationships. So there's often a lot of sacrifices that are being made because God is what demanded of his people to maintain holiness with him so we can stay in a relationship with them. But they're actually meant to be aspects of worship. Uh, and I think right. it's it's interesting as I was even writing and thinking about uh, this specific section it, these are attitudes and aspects of worship and adoration to God for who he is. It's a response to the revelation of who God is. That's what we're, sacrifices were meant to be. Uh, I think it's Romans that says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I think it's 12, two hmm. pleasing and holy to the Lord. Like the whole reason for a sacrifice is worship. It's meant to worship. And so, um, in these five different categories of sacrifices really is meant to be aspects of worship. Uh, so it says this, here's the five of them. The first one's a burnt offering. Um, this was uh, just some scholarly stuff from the Old Testament survey book that was uh, what the survey of the Old Testament by Arnold T. Miller and Byer, I think his last name is. Um, sure. But this is what it says. Uh, it describes an offering of ascent. In other words, it's an offering that goes up to God. Um, the animal was completely burned at the altar. It's smoke rising towards heaven. Um, a male animal without blemish is what was required for a burnt offering. Uh, and this, the various animal, various animals were allowed to be used, uh, just depending on financial ability. Again, God's heart is how can I create an aspect for you to worship and understand the value of worshiping me? Um, there's another offering. The second one is called a grain or a cereal offering. I like cereal because it makes me think of fruity pebbles, <laughs> which is my favorite cereal. My mind went to Captain Crunch. Uh, Captain Crunch is another good one. My dad used to love Golden Grams, but it actually has nothing to do with cereal. It's just grain, um, or like kind of. I think I guess oatmeal would like be wheat, a better, wheat a better wheeled, yeah. yeah better offering there to be uh understanding it and really the term here just simply means gift um it's it's often carrying it's called expediating or exp expediating however you want to say it um e-x-p-i-a-t-i-n-g you can correct me about pronunciation but it's just this atonement it's making amends uh this gift is this idea of making amends with god it's recognizing our shortfall or our sin and then trying to make amends uh, it's frequently accompanied with burnt and peace offerings, uh, probably served less as, as a less expensive burnt offering for those who couldn't afford an animal. Which, I mean, to interject, I do love that even with so many of these uh, offerings that there is provisions made for people who can't afford. Because yeah. uh, it just shows, um, I think so often we think of the uh, the the Old Testament as being so harsh, um, but it's really true. what you're saying Very is true. like, yeah, it's like if you're um, poor and you can't you can't get an ox for sacrifice. That doesn't all of a sudden mean that God rejects you, but he continuously makes provisions yeah. for the poor, which I think is, it's just a so beautiful true. thing. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that like God wants his people in relationship. He wants his people to understand the depths of who he is, which when we do that, it evokes worship. And so God's people, they wanted to offer sacrifices. They wanted to worship God. Uh, so that was, 
uh, a grain or a cereal offering. Uh, another type of offering here is called peace offering. Uh, this was a basic form of sacrifice that was brought on feast days. Uh, it was more of like a celebrative offering. Uh, and this offering was also to be consumed or eaten by um, mostly the priests and the Levites. Uh, there was always a portion set aside in the peace offering. Uh, it was paired with burnt offerings uh, that was consumed with God, but does not appear uh, to have any atonement um, driven nature or aspect to it just had to do with restoration and, and reconciliation. It's almost this, uh, I think there's three subcategories. It's Thanksgiving, it's a, like a vow and then a free will. And so what it does is almost this like re responsiveness. It's this um, type of offering that's like, man, God, you're so faithful to allow me to stay in, involved and including your family. And so there is this celebration, as I've already said, to this offering. So peace offering was a big one. The next two are kind of uh, offerings we would think of when it comes to some of these sacrifices. One is a sin offering. Uh, it's atonement for the offenses against God. Uh, it, it emphasized the act of purification uh, involving ceremonial defilement, involving deception or misappropriation or seduction. Uh, varied, it varies across the classes of individuals, uh, of priest, congregation, ruler, and individual. So a sin offering is, uh, in essence, this is where we get the term scapegoat for. Uh, is where we place this animal in response to my sin. It stands in my place and we sacrifice it, or the priest sacrifice it. Which we'll get to later in the podcast yes, when we, we talk about the Day of Atonement. I'll get ready. Uh, so that's the sin offering. It's, it's to represent, and it's in essence what Jesus was on the cross. He was our sin offering. Uh, and then finally, the guilt offering is the last category we see in the, in the chapters, or in the seven chapters here. Uh, and it's just a subcategory for sin offering. Uh, it has atonement value to it. It has uh, this this purpose of atonement and reconciliation. Uh, it's but it's devoted to the restitution and reparation for uh, followers of Christ and God and God's people. Uh, and it deals with what, what's called the profanation, uh, which is more of a secularization of sacred items uh, and violations of social nature. Uh, this is just where. God's people would realize uh, and use things inappropriately or they would profane the purpose of God's um, God's will, God's I mean, even sacred items. Uh, and so there'd be a guilt offering they would offer on a regular basis. Um, again, the, the interesting thing here that I, that I thought was a, a, such a great reminder is sacrifices are not specific to Christianity. They're not specific to ancient ancient history and ancient people of, of God. They were happening all around the world uh, at this time. And what God did is he took what was happening and he created a unique practice for his people uh, and a standard in those practices for his people specifically. Because again, his heart, and I'll get to this a little bit later, is about holiness. And he wants his people to be holy. And so he's setting a standard and an expectation. This is how we'll, you will become holy. You will be set apart as my people and the world as we know it. So I'll get to that later. But that's just the sacrifices. It's it's a little heavy as you read through it in Leviticus. But just remember, it's this idea of worship. How do we worship God and worship is a, is a, re, a response to the deep revelation of who God is. Right. And once we get through kind of that section, that's going over the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what are the laws of sacrifice? What are the ways that God wants sacrifice to happen? We get to uh, a narrative section where it's a story. Um, and it's, boy, it's a roller coaster <laughs> of what happens. Yeah. So you've got um, the, the section two, I guess we'll call it the laws of the priesthood. Um, and the section begins with the story of Aaron and his sons being anointed. Not me. Not, yeah, Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, uh, and his sons being anointed for the priesthood. Uh, this is not a thing to be taken lightly. Um, and we see the importance of the roles of the priests. And so in uh, Leviticus 8, 34 36, it says this. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you 
at the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain uh, day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded. And Aaron his and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded to Moses. And so Moses is uh, giving them basically all of the rituals that uh, need to be completed. And, and essentially what God is showing is that this this office of priest is not something to be taken lightly. And we see all throughout the uh, the Old Testament, really, um, God's anger really burns against priests who take advantage of where they're at. Like I, my mind immediately leaps to uh, Eli and his sons that we yeah. see in um, in First so Samuel, true. and how uh, you know it doesn't end up well for him. Uh, so, anyways, Aaron and his sons. Aaron is the very first high priest of Israel, which is why um, we just talked about with Ezra, uh, and I think in the last episode we brought it up. Um, but when you get to that book, it's very important to establish his priesthood um, as he comes into the the post-exilic yeah. period the, to bring that all the way back to Aaron. Um, you'll see that a lot. And so they make sacrifices for their sins uh, and begin uh, to give an offering for all the people. And so this is where it transitions from uh, sacrifices being made for the priests or for personally Aaron and his sons. And it moves to being uh, sacrifices or offerings that are made for all of the people. And so in Leviticus 9, 15 through 24, it says this, uh, then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering, like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed an ox and a ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and the ram, the fat tail and that which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put into fat. They put the fat pieces on the breasts and he burned them and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved uh, for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from the offering, uh, from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, which is not a sentence to skip by. It says they do all these things yeah. and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, which is, I mean, got to be an amazing moment. Uh, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar when all the people saw it and they shouted and fell on their faces. And so what we see here is, you know, Aaron just talked through um, what are the different sacrifices commanded. And then we see Aaron and the high priest in this moment, they're doing all the sacrifices before the people. Mm -hmm. There's This is really kind of the beginning of uh, of the Old Testament covenant between, or I shouldn't say the beginning because the covenant was with Abraham before, but kind of the, I, I should say the beginning of the sacrificial system that was happening within the Old Testament covenant. Um, and so all of those things happen. God accepts the offering. It's got to be, it, it's this incredible mixture of, um, of fear and not in like the bad way, but in the idea of um, just respect and awe for who God is. I think one of the best analogies is, uh, is, you know, it's a children's book, but in, um, the Chronicles of Narnia, when you see like the way that the kids think of, um, Aslan, the lion, who's kind of like the stand-in figure for Christ, like in the one sense, um, they know that he would never hurt them, but on the other sense, you know, it's a lion. So, and there's obviously a lot of power <laughs> yeah, there. Right. Um, so I think it's kind of like, that's a helpful analogy for me to think of if the way that people fear the Lord, but, uh, God accepts the uh, the offerings of Aaron. All these things happen. And then we go from that really high high uh, to the section ending uh, with the two sons of Aaron or two of the two of his oldest sons. He had more sons, uh, but Nadab and Abihu, um, and they are killed 
for giving their offering in a, and not in the way that was commanded by God. So immediately after we see that section where um, Aaron does all the sacrifices, they're acceptable to God, the glory of God appears, his sons uh, begin to break the the codes of mm-hmm. what God had just laid down. And, and as kind of a show, um, a way to show that the holiness of God is not something to be taken lightly. They're actually killed. Yeah. And it, the Bible says that um, Aaron... I forgot the words, exact words that it uses because I didn't write it down, but it says basically that Aaron said nothing. So it wasn't this thing where Aaron was angry at God and shouting at God, like, how could you do this? It's like Aaron understood, like, yeah, that's what they did. And that's what you had talked about. Like yeah. he was kind of understanding. Um, and it's also just fun fact, the section immediately following that is the only section in Leviticus where God speaks directly to Aaron and not to Moses and mm-hmm. Aaron. So there you go. Fun fact. Not yeah, for what it's mind. worth. <laughs> but that's there awesome. you go. Uh, but yeah, so that's that section, uh, chapters 8 through 10, dealing with the laws of the priesthood and really um, the beginning of the priestly line of Aaron. Yeah. Well, and then you jump into the the chapters 11 to 15, which are, in essence, the, the idea of purity, the laws of purity. Uh, and the interesting thing with Nadab and Abihu is, is one of the translations that I remember uh, it reading is that they offered profane worship before the Lord. They offered a profane sacrifice. In essence, what they did is they took what was holy and they they mishandled it. They, it was right. they, it was inappropriate the way that they offered worship to the Lord. And I think as we jump into law, the, the laws of purity in, in chapters 11 to 15, this is the intent of these next few chapters is to create the laws of purity, is to create uh, the right picture between holiness and profane and uh, or in other words uh clean and unclean is another way that it's it, it, it's expressed in in the old testament uh holiness cannot coexist with unholiness like uh, the profane it can't coexist and so we see in this these this next section that there is uh, a need that is that is work required for each of us every day to be clean to work to be clean to understand and be so self-aware uh, and even when when aaron recognizes like they totally deserved that. They mishandled what was their responsibility uh, as followers and leaders uh, in this priesthood. Uh, and so they got what was coming to them because they missed it. Uh, and so we see, we'll see a couple things, the, the idea of clean, the comparison between clean and unclean, uh, which are very closely related concepts to holy and profane. We see cleanness has this basic meaning of purity, healthy or whole. Uh, and unclean obviously is the opposite where it means impure, unhealthy and broken. Uh, you'll see chapter 11 talks about the foods that are clean and unclean. And it's interesting to process and think about this because we don't, quite adhere to this today. Uh, I, don't, right. I think some people do. Uh, some sect of Christianity and Jewish world does adhere to this. Yeah, the, uh, the Messianic Jews. But uh, we we don't, in essence, because one of the things you can't do is eat pig. Uh, and if you like bacon like I do, then you're living in sin according to Leviticus chapter 11. But um, it's, it's not carried over into the new covenant. And so there's some interesting things here, but it just processes through the idea of clean and unclean and why would God establish foods that are clean and unclean? I think it's important to to remember God's whole heartbeat is holiness. He's trying to set his his people apart. He's trying to set a standard, say, you are my people, and this is how you live according to it. So even talking about the foods that are clean and unclean, there are certain religious practices from the pagan world, some cultic practices with food. And so sometimes, I mean, there's not real clarity on why 
Moses establishes clean and unclean, why, why God establishes those things through Moses. It's just is what it is. This is, this is what it means to be holy according to my people and the food that you eat. Uh, you have to be mindful about what you're putting in your body, which I think that in and of itself will preach in and of it to, to today's world more than ever before. Are we mindful about what we're eating um, and putting into our bodies, which now we would call the temple of the Holy Spirit? Anyways, so chapter 11 talks about this idea of what's holy and clean versus unclean and the foods we eat. Chapter 12 talks about uh, cleanliness and purification after childbirth. Um, again, these are things that, uh, in some respects, I love that Evan gave me this chat, this section of, um, stuff because <laughs> it's kind of it's 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 interesting to talk about, interesting to think about. Uh, but God is wanting His people to be set apart, and it doesn't mean they shouldn't, uh, you know, do what married people should do and having sex and intercourse and having child children. I think Scripture talks about children are a blessing from the Lord. He whose quiver is, you know, full is like a or he who man has many children is like a quiver who's full and so i think there's there's blessings to you don't want an empty quiver when Um, you're no you don't but even and then god still uses anyways (laughs) i could totally go off on on a side note but uh chapter 12 addresses and just talks about this is what it looks like to be pure uh this is what you have to be mindful of whether it's through your menstrual cycle whether it's through a, a specific time after childbirth or even if it's uh when you have sex with your wife you're unclean until the evening like it's it's just this kind of crazy reality but there is uh the rea- the need to be clean and be holy because god is holy that's his heart um chapters 13 14 can continue or continues the cleanliness conversation with matters of fungi skin diseases a uh, little inside the the behind the curtain we have a staff text thread that uh one of our pastors t- messaged this last week because we just read leviticus 13 and he just celebrated the fact that we're not operating as pastors as the priesthood did in ancient times so uh, i would be agree bummer. with him with some of the <laughs> some of the sores the, pa- the the priest had to deal with but uh these are just just different regulations concerning uh these different skin diseases and infections and what are we supposed to do and how are you supposed to make sure that you're that you're clean and pure before the lord uh, and then chapter 15 talks about uh, bodily discharges that may cause a person to be unclean. Uh, and it's it's the priest's responsibility, uh, in the, in this, especially in Leviticus, to determine between clean and unclean items, people, or places. It, the weight that they carried, the responsibility that they shouldered was to usher in and help lead God's people into holiness and purity. Uh, and there's times where they had to endure a certain amount of days. If you went, even if you went to a memorial or a funeral, you were unclean for a certain amount of days, and then you could finally be reestablished in community again. Um, and so the, these chapters are, in essence, a really strategic directory for Israelite priests, um, specifically the priests, but also God's people, to understand what defines what is clean and unclean in God's sight. Right. Now, the question to ask is, why do these things matter? And I don't know if we're ever going to have an answer. I think we we have to understand God's expectation is holiness. God's expectation, desire for his people to be set apart. And so he sets things in order because sometimes it's only the mind of God that comprehends it. And so we just have to trust and take him at his word and process through that. Now we can get into the minutia of what's applicable today versus what's not applicable today. Uh, and we might, we very well might, depending on questions that come in. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's this is what is holy and, and clean in God's sight. And that's our job is to adhere to what he says is. Um, that's relevant and applicable to today's culture and world too. So, And, and one thing to also just a, a resource that might help is uh, I think the second or third 
Q&A episode of 2019, we actually went over, um, okay, so why don't we follow everything in Leviticus? Right, that was way before my time. Yeah, that was before before Aaron was the co-host. Um, but uh, if you want to uh, just kind of get me and Connor's thoughts on that, so that's in that episode. And then as always, if you have more questions, just email those, email yeah, those bad boys in. that's a good thing in. to send you back to. So if you ask that question, we might take some time, but we also might just send you that link for that podcast. Yeah, just we'll, heads up. well if, yeah, if you listen to it and you have more questions, just let us know and we'll be happy to, to dive in because yeah. that's, you know, that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, so the section, the fourth section uh, is the day of atonement. And this is just Le- Leviticus 16. Um, it's kind of, when you look at the breakdowns of, of Leviticus, it really is kind of its own thing. Um, but this section of Leviticus actually picks up right after the deaths of Nadab and Abihu. So if you remember um, the, the narrative, the narrative that we had, uh, towards the beginning with the, the laws of the priesthood that happens. And then we get all these cleanliness laws or laws of purity. And then we come back into uh, really the story. And this is where we get the day of atonement uh, or as it's called by Jews today, Yom Kippur, uh, which is still celebrated by Jews today. It's the mm-hmm. holiest. Um, it's kind of, I guess you could say like if Easter is the, um, the holiest day in the Christian calendar, then Yom Kippur would be the holiest day in the, uh, the Jewish calendar. So, and it's uh, a celebration of, or really, I guess, I guess, I suppose you could say it's another day of atonement. It's not just remembering the day, but it's continuously um, living under that as well. So on this day, the high priest uh, would make two sacrifices, one for himself uh, and his own sins, which would be a bull. And the other one for the sins of the people, which would be a goat. Um, he would cast lots between the two goats and he would choose one to sacrifice and one to let go, which is where we get the term scapegoat, which is what Aaron referred to uh, earlier. And so that's, yeah, that's where that term comes from. Uh, and the Day of Atonement really shows us in one holiday the seriousness of sin and uh, the faithful grace of God. Yeah, and so I wanted so to true. read a, I wanted to read a passage. We don't need to spend a ton of time in this today because um, obviously we still got a little bit to work through. But um, in Leviticus 16, 29 through 34, it says this, And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day uh, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be made, you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed as and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for all the priests, uh, for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute to you forever, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So it's a very serious um holiday and it's it's obviously there's a ton of rules about what needs to be followed but keep in mind that the the underlying message of yom kippur the day of atonement is really this idea of god's forgiveness of sin um and it's it's a day of the year where um not just not just jews i think we can all kind of remember that um god has made a way uh for the redemption for our redemption for the atonement of our sin and obviously as christians we know that that is eventually completely fulfilled um mm-hmm. in christ and yeah. who christ is which is why i think um easter has kind of taken the place of of yom kippur as being like the, the the main day that we really celebrate that but um even in the old testament again i think we have this kind of 
this way of viewing the Old Testament as and thinking that it's just harsh and it's a bunch of rules and thank goodness, you know, we're not in there, which to a certain extent, you know, some of the rules in Leviticus, thank goodness we don't need to follow them today. But um, it's also important to remember that God's grace permeates the entire history of his people, not just starting with Jesus. It's it's all throughout the entire Bible. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and the last section we're going to kind of break it, uh, Leviticus down to is called the Holiness Code, which what we would title that as. I think some um, survey books and also overview books title that as that as well. Uh, and it really is the last, you know, I don't know, 11 chapters of Leviticus. Uh, it just talks about, I guess, the last 10 chapters of Le- Leviticus, because uh, spoiler, chapter 27 is added after. It's kind of an addendum. Um, is what it appears oh, to snap. be. And it, was, it wasn't written at a later time. It wasn't added at a later time. It was just written separate from the uh, chapter 17 to 26. Uh, and so it's interesting because it's in essence, it is what what the title comes up. It is a code for which God's people can maintain and establish the holiness. Uh, and so uh, through the sacrifices and the offerings, the Israelite people were given, God's people were given the means to approach God uh, and live in freedom from sin on a regular basis. Uh, and really the a holy God required repentant hearts and sacrifices that were presented in the right way. Uh, there's no, even as Evans already alluded, like there's no way we should have heart this stuff. There's no way that even God's people should have half hearted this stuff. He set a very high standard and gave you a very direct play by play on how to uphold that standard and expectation. Uh, holy God also demands his people to live holy lives. Uh, these, and these chapters in, in the holiness code, really to, to provide some specifics and how that was uh, it looked like and how that could be involved. Uh, and I would just simply say this, a key piece to Leviticus as its entirety, uh, how I've always tried to pre- view the perspective of Leviticus is it's the idea of holiness. Uh, three times in this section alone, we're told to be holy because God is holy. We see that in 19, chapter 19, verse two, we see that in chapter 20, verse seven, and then again in chapter 20, verse 26. Uh, it's just this idea of be holy because I'm holy. Uh, and so, God is addressing uh, multiple different areas and uh, issues um, because the reality is in in the context with which the ancient uh, people of God lived in, the countries surrounding them, the religious practices and the way they worshiped were were hindrances. They were were temptations. They were problems that if they were not careful, they would fall prey to, which we see throughout Israel's history, (laughs) that they made these mistakes over and over again. They gave in to the influences of the world around them. And and I would probably even say, much like we do today, we neglect or forget or devalue God's standards and expectations uh, today. And so we see in Leviticus the standard that God's communicating. They were not to look like any other country, but to be people set apart, which I've said a few different times, because that's the heartbeat of Leviticus is to help you and I understand to be God's people, it requires a different method of living and response to the world we live in. Uh, idol worship, sexual immorality, child sacrifices, property sales, all of these things are addressed in the holiness code uh, where God establishes a standard. Um, he rebukes sexual immorality in its entirety. Um, and we get different passages of, of what does it mean to be sexually immoral and how, do, how are we living? It's are we living in holiness with our sexuality? Um, I think Christopher Ewan has a great stance and a great statement about uh, our sexuality. And it's not, um, it, it's got to be holy. We've got to pursue holiness and how we approach sexuality, period. Uh, child sacrifice is not okay uh, in, in Leviticus and and or today or today even <laughs> like well no i'm just kidding um the problem is like our culture the world we live in as followers of christ this is where i think we have we can take a lot of practical things out of leviticus is we should not look like the world we live in today 
And there's so many different areas that we can go into it. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in getting into that conversation via podcast. I'm interested in face-to-face conversations. Um, but it talks about, it talks about property sales and what should we do with the property we have if we're not wanting to have it. And so God just establishes a standard in his people. This is what I want from you. This is what I want for you. Uh, are you, and as someone who said yes to Christ and being a part of his people, there's certain standards we need to understand we live according to. It's not, I'm going to live as I used to live in the world and kind of do this Christian thing, but it's, I'm, I'm, as Jesus has said, even as we addressed Matthew last week, um, am I willing to lay my life down and pick up the life God has asked me to live? We see this holiness code as an establishment of that. Um, there's festivals that were established that he gets into the uh, Moses writes in the book of Leviticus. Uh, that these these festivals are scattered throughout the year to help establish a spiritual rhythm for for God's people in their lives. Um, and again, the intent is the whole purpose is God's holiness. We want to be God's people. Uh, they wanted holiness because God is holy. Uh, and here's a practical way of how to do it. Uh, and the thing that I love is is this holiness code section. It really ends in chapter 26, and it talks about blessings for obedience. But then it also talks about punishments for disobedience. And as you look at the two um, and you compare them lengthwise, blessings is a lot shorter than the punishments, uh, but the blessings are pretty remarkable and incredible. And so it's just important to remember these things are are part of what God has called us to. Um, And then you jump into chapter 27, and this was the point that I made. This appears to be written afterwards. Uh, it's about it's laws and vows and promises. That's what it's written about. Um, laws about vows and promises. It's almost weird to say it that way, <laughs> um, but it's a, it appears to be an addendum. It was not necessarily written later, but put at the end of the book to underscore the importance of of a functioning or funding the sanctuary. Um, there's just practices that I think are important to remember there. And so um, I would say simply this, um, and Evan, you can chime in here in a minute. I think we should always be looking at the book of Leviticus from the filter of God. What do we need to learn? And understanding the key principle, the key thought, the key theme, if you will, is this idea of holiness. Uh, As followers of Christ, as people who've said yes to God's family, there's a certain standard that we are now committing to live to. It's not God saying, I can't do this, this, or this. It's saying, now that I'm a part of God's family, knowing his heartbeat for me, knowing his love for me, causes me to live differently. And I think that that's imperative as we read the book of Leviticus. There's a lot to it. It's yeah. some some respects it's heavier because it's not culturally relevant, uh, but it it still carries that holiness filter um, in, in a much uh, profound and deeper way. So. Well, one thing that I like about what you said is um, the idea that as people of God, we should not look like the world around us in a lot of aspects. And I think it's 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 so weird to think about, but. At the time when Leviticus was written, child sacrifice was a completely normal thing yeah. for a lot of, and so not crazy to think about. Yeah. And not that it's something necessarily that people didn't grieve or anything like that, but um, the idea that the gods are angry um, and we need to sacrifice our children uh, to, to anger it was, a, was a normal thing. Yeah. And so, but it, the, the point I'm trying to get at is this, in our modern um, context, we look back at that and we think... Uh, you know, good Lord, how on earth was that ever a thing that the people of Israel had to stand up against? Um, And I think what's powerful about the book of Leviticus is remembering not from our context, but remembering in their context, how much of that was countercultural, countercultural. And I think there's so many things for us as Christians today. Um, It's not child sacrifice in in American culture. That's not really something that we struggle with. Um, 
uh, on a national level, but the, there are and the way that they did it. Yeah, yeah. There's like, there's different ways, but it wasn't um, as uh, it's still as blatant today. Yeah, but the, the idea really is that there there are things that we stand up against as part of culture, um, or there's things that we stand up against as being followers of Christ that may go against culture, but we need to remember um, that we should not be slaves to where we are today. We should not be slaves to the cultural yeah. narratives of today, but rather. Uh, our master is God. That is where we. That is where mm-hmm. we get our hope. That is where we get um, how we live our lives. And Leviticus is a great reminder yeah. of of that theme. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up uh, for today. Just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our resources on our website at grove.church. Um, and do us a favor, leave us a, a five-star review if you're digging the podcast. It helps to get um, the podcast out there to more people and continue to grow um, this community of people reading the Bible together. And with that being said, we will see you all next week. 